Hi everybody and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast in association with ILOF Claims. I'm Mark Hadaway. Welcome everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, and a huge thank you, obviously, to our corporate partners and our partners, corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise, Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, and SMG Response. And our partners are Green Park Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. So a great session lined up. This is a recording of our webinar, which took place on the 24th of June, uh, hottest day of the year so far. So hopefully uh, some people are enjoying it from the comfort of their gardens. Uh, we've got a great uh, panellist lineup today. Keith Malik, Senior Director of Global Sales at Sherwin-Williams. Wayne Mason-Drust, Managing Director of Accident Express Group. And Sue White, Managing Director of Action 365 Limited. Enjoy the podcast. Plenty of discussions, plenty of insight shared once again. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. All right, and we will get ourselves started. So... As always, a huge thank you to our corporate partners and partners for continuing to support ARC360 and uh, back these webinars. Hopefully it's proved equally successful for those guys as it has for us, so it's great to have them on board. Motor Claims Festival takes place uh, next week. So a full week of uh, sessions, daytime, and a couple of kind of social elements to the evening. Uh, one of which is the kickabout with Cami uh, on the Monday evening. So a uh, chance to kind of kick back in a very informal fashion uh, and spend some time with uh, industry peers. Sponsored by Carpenters, that one. And it was obviously some great anecdotes uh, all come from Cami. I have no shadow of a doubt that will be a very entertaining session. So the webinar. Uh, so again, we set a little disclaimer out to begin with. The views and opinions expressed during the following webinar are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the contributors' employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Please respect any all contributions and we encourage you to join the conversation via the interactive functions available. Joining us this week then on the panel, we've got Keith Malik, Senior Director, Global Sales, Sherwin-Williams. We've got Wayne Mason-Drust, Managing Director of Accident Express Group. And we've got Sue White, Managing Director of Action 365. So here we are, everybody. Uh, again, as per usual, we'll have a little introduction from each of the panelists. So if I can come to you first, Sue, if I may. You can. Uh, afternoon, everyone. So my name's Sue White. I'm Managing Director of Action 365, which is part of Freedom Group and has the benefit of its own MGO, which is Pucker. And I look after the end-to-end claims management for Pucker. That was very succinct. I like that. Uh, and Keith, over to you. Yeah, hi guys. Um, everyone knows me pretty much as an industry paint guy, but um, can change for me towards um, Sherwin Williams. And I'm responsible globally for what we call approval led, which are the OEM insurance and MSO segments around the world. Brilliant. And Wayne, over to yourself. Thank you. Good afternoon uh, to everybody. Yeah, uh, Wayne Mason Drust, uh, Accident Express. We're a small shop group. We've got one of, uh, one of our sites based in rugby and another site in Birmingham. I started the business up over 22 years ago and choose to predominantly work in the insurance market, working directly with insurance companies on approved repairs. Super. Goodness me, we've got those intros nailed now, haven't we? Fantastic. Right, we'll go back to the screen share. Um, if I could, panellists, is it okay if you mute yourself, just because we've got a little bit of an echo going on? I'll make sure I give you a good heads up in terms of unmuting the microphone when we come to you with questions. Um, so the CAPS data for this week, uh, may have already seen it, went out earlier this week, in fact went out yesterday. So unique claims, claim initiated, seen for the first time, supply chains, transmissions, anything kind of associated with those claims. And so good news is we've seen a 33% increase on unique claims and supply trains, chain transmissions, or excuse me, uh, up by 20% this week. So just a little bit of clarification around this and having spoken to Kevin at CAPS, um, so the sharp increase in uh, claims transmissions heavily influenced by the southeast and southwest uh, kind of springing back to life, if you like. Um, and that potentially is a result of some of the larger uh, group body shops uh, opening up their sites down there and absorbing uh, some of the claims that have perhaps been sat idle. So just kind of um, 
keeping an eye on that. If it was normalised, i.e. those regions were kind of flattened out across, uh, across the UK, uh, more likely a 10-15% uplift um, across the nation, if you like. Uh, the supply chain, ch chain transmissions, God, that's not easy for me to say, um, that's a charting back to normal. So in terms of the 20% increase is back to normal figure, uh, is referenced at 31% increase, actual increase in volume numbers as account exchange across the platform. So I hope I've provided some clarity on that. If not, Kevin, your man. Um, as things have evolved uh, over the past uh, few weeks, months now, CAPS has kind of, if you like, in a positive sense, uh, everyone switched on to technology. Um, so at kind of both ends from the suppliers, from the insurers and from the repairers. So um, what's happening is it's becoming increasingly difficult for CAPS to kind of um, consolidate the information and provide a relevant reference point. So what's going to happen is they're now going to uh, move across to a monthly formula for us. Uh, just so they can smooth out any of those blips as we go. So the data will be far more succinct and far more accurate as time progresses. Um, so again, measurement against the Feb 20 peak, which it's all gauged against, unique claims up to 92%, supply chain transmissions up to 83%, claims volumes exchanged up by previous week. Again, this is the reference, 33% increase on unique claims, supply chain transmissions up 31%. And claims volumes exchanged since lockdown eased, which was the 18th of May. Unique claims up 77% and supply chain transmissions 74%. So all good news for the industry. Um, and then in terms of the heat mapping, again, integral. So this is anything from enterprise customers, i.e. those uh, claims requiring an enterprise rental, uh, which equates to about a third of all claims, plus the addition of enterprises' own claims business data, which handles claims for brokers, etc. Here's the heat map. Uh, again, the diff different colours obviously represent uh, the volume of claims in those regions and seen a slight decrease week on week in terms of claims volumes. 46% um, increase in claims month on month. 8% of business is from the new hotspots and at the moment it's over 300 postcode areas active. And the new hotspots, Andover, Hatfield, Cambridge, Fife, Berwick upon Tweed and Haywards Heath. And there are those postcodes, uh, SB10, AL10, CB24, KY12, TD1, RH16. And the top six postcodes by volume, uh, S71, LE2, SS9, SO15, G1 and RM3. Phew. All right. So let's come back to you panelists. We've run through that. Now, remember to unmute yourselves as, as I come across to you. But I'll come across to you first, first Wayne. Uh, body shop point of view. Um, you know, that, that information shared there, reflected in terms of kind of what you're seeing within your own business at the moment. How, how are things mapping out for yourself? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I do see the same points that you see similarities. Uh, last week, in particular, there was uh, Birmingham was identified as a hotspot. Uh, we definitely seen a, a bit of an increase in claims coming through for Birmingham uh, last week on that hotspot. Um, I think uh, the reality of it is, is there is still those regional variances uh, uh, between uh, between all of the data points that we've got. When we look at it as a, as a whole of the UK, uh, that hotspot for Birmingham that showed there was an increase. But if you look at it, the 92% that were seen, I'm not seeing that at the rugby branch. Uh, uh, and prior to that, some of the data, I wasn't seeing that uh, pro rata, depending on what site I was in. So, so uh, you know, on the whole, I'm not, uh, I'm not really over-reliant on that as, as data points, realistically. Uh, we are still seeing volumes very sporadic, uh, you know, almost to a daily basis. Okay, great stuff. And Sue, if I jump across to yourself, because you've probably got, uh, you know, a national site in terms of claims volumes and things out there at the moment. But uh, yeah, in terms of your, if you like, reference points, uh, how are things yeah. mapping out? So yeah, as I said, definite claims, claims increasing. We're probably about 65% of expected uh, this month. Um, I think on repairs flowing through, I'd agree with Wayne. I'm not quite sure it's at that peak that we've mentioned. Um, I think we've still got quite a few people who are not yet booking in for whatever reasons, whether it's COVID-related, lockdown-related, but it's definitely on the up to a more normal um, service level, I would have said. Okay. Are you starting to see more drivables start to be processed or, or come through the books now? 
Yeah, so absolutely during kind of the peak of lockdown, it was the undrivables. That's all we really saw coming through. Um, drivables are now starting to pick up, but localised. And I think what I've seen throughout COVID is that decisions from repairs are still very much localised. So we've got hotspots where we're struggling to get vehicles through um, because of decisions made locally rather than nationally. Um, so that has been, I guess, for us a challenge in terms of customer management and expectation. Okay, great. Yeah, and we'll pick up on that point very shortly. Um, Keith, I'll hop across to you. So um, you've probably got a, you know, a national insight, a global insight in terms of you know, where we are in terms of claims volumes and data. But um, you know, from your side, from, from Sherwin's side, what, what are you seeing? I think we've got two separate things going on because when um, we look at the data that comes out of CAPT, it's very much time future. So at, at a given point and, and what we're likely to see over the next week or two, but from a kind of, um, you know, from a value chain perspective and a supply chain perspective, we're also seeing um, some pent up demand coming through. So people that perhaps had, had an accident, haven't had that car repaired, so, you know, in terms of volume, we are actually seeing some good volume starting to, to drift through, but it's, it's a blended approach of pent up demand and new claims. So um, supply chain, look at it from a slightly different perspective. I'm not sure, Wayne, if you're seeing that in the same way, but um, certainly that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and tell us a little bit more about that supply chain kind of perspective, Keith. You've, you've obviously, you know, been active within the within the paint sector, within distribution as well um, for, for a number of years. So, you know, we, we've probably not touched upon that within the webinars uh, over the weeks. But so can you just give us a bit more of a, an insight from that uh, from that point of view? Um, yes, I can. But it, it is going to be different for different parts of the supply chain, because effectively, if we think about our industry being segmented, um, in between the kind of premium segment and the mid-segment. Um, the kind of mid-tier segment where a lot of the individuals, uh, a lot of the body shop owners are very kind of fleet orientated, um, you know, looking at dealer work, you know, private individuals, those kind of things. That segment of the market still has continued to do reasonably well. It's when you've got the premium segment that are heavily reliant on claims volume from insurers, work providers, they're the ones that have taken the bigger impact over the last three or four months. So in terms of, you know, when you look at the market, if we look at it as a whole, the picture gets blurred. But if you look at it segmented into premium and, and the kind of mid-segment, you actually start to see two, two very different pictures emerging. Okay, fantastic. That's great, great input there. And, and Wayne, I'll come back to you. Um, so in terms of, if you like, kind of, you know, business plans, re-emergence, where we are in the market right now, you know, where, where do you put things uh, fr from your perspective? You know, are we where you thought we'd be? Um, are we way behind the curve, way in front of it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit strange, a little bit surreal for me because like you and I had a conversation last September um, and I had done a load of analysis on the, on the marketplace uh, trying to see what 2020 was going to look like. Uh, and that was work I was doing last June and July. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I come to realise that claim volumes, in my opinion, was going to drop this year regardless of COVID. Uh, and if you, if you recall, Mark, I told you it was going to drop off around about February time and wasn't going to return until September time. Um, and so I'd already made business plans uh, uh, ready for what I thought was going to occur. Obviously, no one could have planned for COVID or anything like that. But I did, all the data that I was analysing at the time, I did anticipate a 20% drop in claims between between February and September of 2020. Um, so that says uh, we obviously prepared ourselves financially for that uh, coming through. When we seen the COVID issues uh, start hitting and the news coming through China uh, in February and even at the beginning of March, I already started sort of like prompting all of my guys. We were starting to look at, uh, at you know layoff or putting people on short time, things like that. Just just in, in anticipation of a lockdown. Um, and then when the government came out with the furlough system, obviously the word furlough I've never never heard of other than the American term. So start starts doing my uh, my analytical mind starts looking over that word. Oh, thank God there's there's no law exists in terms of employment law around the word furlough. 
Um, so I, I can see why the government chose that as a word and, and, and giving us this flexible approach. Um, so at the moment, Boris uh, you know, made that announcement of the lockdown. I'd already had weekly meetings with my guys in anticipation. So I told them September, way back at the beginning of March, I said September is the earliest as far as I was concerned, that we was only going to get anywhere back to normality. Uh, I'm fortunate that with Accident Express, we've got, I like to think we've always had a flexible, agile business in the first place uh, as part of our business planning going forward. So for me, having that furlough system in place now uh, has just reinforced some of the plans that I was putting into place. I'm just going to see the volume steadily increase, bring people back off furlough. Uh, and then ultimately, at some point, you know, we will get back to the normal numbers uh, as everything settles down and people get used to the day-to-day of, uh, of running with COVID in society. Okay, great stuff, Wayne. And uh, I'm sure there's many people out there who would want to borrow that crystal ball of yours because I uh, yeah, distinctly remember the conversation we had. And uh, it certainly uh, yeah, came from a different source, obviously, in terms of what we discussed. But uh, it's had this, you know, a similar impact, if you like, if not greater. So uh, just for people tuning in, I'm just going to launch a poll now. So there's a little bit in terms of timeline focus currently within your business. Um, so that will be live on the screen now. You should be able to see that. So you can cast a vote there. It's all anonymous, so uh, we won't know who's voted for what. But uh, we'll carry on talking. And Sue, if I can come over to yourself. Um, similar question to yourself, really, in terms of um, re-emergence and, and how the business is, uh, is picking up. And, you know, kind of what is your sight now of, of timelines? You know, is, is it a day by day still? Is it, you know, weekly? Are we now looking a few months ahead? How are you balancing things yourself? I think it's still not got the certainty to be able to go much longer than kind of weekly or monthly. And it is just predictions. You know, like Wayne said, it's kind of trying to look at what you think is going to happen. Um, and we got quite a lot of intel at the start because of Italy, because they were ahead of us. So we expected that claims drop. Um, it's almost followed that pattern. So I think we've got some insight as to what we can expect to see. And um, it's been interesting to see how, as the claims volume started to grow again, the mix of claims changed, um, the severity of claims changed. That was quite an interesting um, outlook as to driver behaviour during lockdown, as lockdowns ease. Um, but we're continuing to kind of forecast that we expect it to start to rise to about 80% over the next couple of months. Um, and then dependent on seasonality, dependent on, I guess, whether there's a further lockdown, or depending on whether it gets back to the levels it was before. Yeah, yeah. And, and are you still kind of, you know, gauging off other countries around the world in terms of, you know, where we potentially could be? Auto Glass brought some interesting insights to, uh, to the conversation last week uh, in terms of what Bell Warner sharing in-house. So just wonder where you're, where you're kind of looking. I think of, uh, not so much now. I think certainly at the start, it was very much because um, we were quite similar in terms of lockdown. There's like a three-week period, I think it was, in between us and the intel that we had. And it was great because it allowed us to be able to plan for it. I think more now it depends on your mix of business. So whilst that's a generalised, I think we now have to start to look at our own mix of business and how that's behaving. How that We do both private car and commercial vehicle. So again, depending on what happens with lockdown, depends how those drivers will respond and the claims that will come off the back of it. Okay, great stuff. And, and Keith, I'll come across to you in terms of, again, um, Sue's obviously referenced Italy there and, and looking at what's going on around other parts of the world. Um, you know, how, how does Sherwin, if you like, is anticipating, you know, movements within the market, whether it be the UK and or others? I think it's fair to say that you can look at other geographies and try and get, you know, a bit of a, a, some guidance in terms of what's coming next. And so I agree with you. I mean, Italy for Europe at least gives us a really good understanding. But even within Italy, you know, it's quite a divided geography. So North Italy, um, you know, still in, in quite a painful place um, in comparison to, to Southern Italy. I think, I mean, if I go back to your, your question about, you know, immediate horizons, I think, you know, looking at things quarterly, you know, within the supply chain is, is, is still the kind of name of the game. And that's pretty much our focus at the moment. Um, and we're just coming to the end of, of, of quarter two and, you know, reflecting back on the impact of COVID in, within our business. Um, so it's, it's all now about planning quarter on quarter and, and trying to get ourselves back into a position where, um, you know, we can start anticipating what our customers' demands are going to be like quarter by quarter as we move forward. 
And I think the big thing that we're looking at is the complexity of decision-making that we're facing today, we've never had before. Um, because we've always looked at historical trading. We've always looked at historical data. Um, and, and then, you know, when I think about Mason, you know, um, Wayne Mason's um, um, input, you know, we never had to think about when we furloughed staff and brought them on and off. We never had to think about, um, you know, consumer changing consumer behavior because now all of a sudden we're having to think about contact contactless, you know, vehicle transfers and stuff like that. So our norms have changed and everything for me is, is all about trying to identify as early as we can what our new norms are going to be like. Um, Yes, I agree. You know, I mean, we're very fortunate. We've got a great operation in um, in Asia, in China. We have, you know, we're big presence over there. Also, so you know, we have quite some. You know, our our field of vision goes back far greater than just um, than just what has happened in Italy. But it's fair to say that different markets are reacting differently in different ways, primarily because of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, health and safety has a different. Um, definition in, in the west as it does in the, in the east um, and also you know people's work ethic is different um, and a lot of and a lot of other markets didn't have furlough to think about you know so people did have had to react and we've seen different markets evolve and deal with um and deal with the future in different ways okay great stuff and again great input there i'm um, just going to share the results from the uh, from the poll there so hopefully everyone can see those uh 51% uh looking at three month timeline uh current focus um again we'll kind of do a little bit of second guessing on these results but Wayne I'll come to you um arguably a result of kind of you know furlough winding down at that uh, sort of similar time um and having to take on board staff fully yeah, definitely. Obviously, the, the, the main focus for most repairers, and you know, we're no different, is the furloughing system ending at the end of October. Uh, and the anticipation is that, so that you are being able to bring staff back on and, and get back to a full team and a full set of claims and work coming through by that period. So, uh, you know, trying to manage that for the next three months is important. But, I, I, you know, I do still worry a little bit of, you know, what happens after the furlough system. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to focus a little bit more on uh, recently is human behaviour, uh, not only from my own employees uh, and my workforce, but also just the greater community and, and people in general. How do I feel that the COVID situation is going to affect that? Uh, it's very very easy to say at the moment that loads of large organisations have been able to uh, have home workers and establish people working from home. Um, and uh, there's a lot of talk about how that will affect and become the norm moving forward. Um, I do feel that uh, that the opportunities will be there and, they, uh, and some of the larger organisations will take their up. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as dramatic in the in the first next six to one to 12 months whilst uh, all the larger organizations will they all start looking at their, their digitization of the business to enable it more whilst you know, a lot of insurers uh, have set up their claims departments at home and people working from home they've also had a lot of challenges then from uh, it and infrastructure you know vpn tunneling and things like that and, and keeping their network secure whilst they've been able to do that now uh, and uh, as a, a, a process of necessity, as we move forward into the next six and 12 months, uh, I've got to start looking at if people do want to work from home, um, how do they do that, keep their network secure? And all well, these are the sort of things that are going to have an effect on human behaviour in terms of the way people travel, whether or not they're using their cars, uh, whether or not you know this, this more of a digital platform uh, that everyone is going to adopt and had more of a taste of in the last uh, three months actually starts to affect the way in which uh, claims are processed, the way in which repairs are processed, the way in which we all communicate with each other. Uh, so whilst getting back to work as a car body repairer is important, I still I still have to look at where do my where does my work come from, where do my claims come from, and how is that market going to change in six, 12 and 18 months time. 
Okay, right. And uh, linked into that, what we'll do is we'll run another little poll to keep things moving. So uh, again, is the rapid adoption of new working practices technology now a permanent component of the industry? Yes, no, unsure. So we'll keep the conversation going. Sue, we had a little uh, chat um, earlier when we were just testing connection and you know we talked about kind of timelines within different businesses and it's, it's, it's hugely varied across the industry. Repairers kind of cranking back up to business more immediate insurers potentially you know some way down the line in terms of the true impact on those on, on them so and you kind of sit somewhere in the middle so can you just tell us a bit more about you know your thinking there in terms of timelines and, and judging how things are evolving yeah i think if first i could not just pick up on wayne's point about kind of claims organizations and deploying to homework you know stuff um and i think that what's been interesting for us and, and i've heard from other people as well is how well kind of IT's done. We were always told that flexible and home working wasn't going to be possible for us as a claims organisation for our agents. Within 48 hours, 100% were working from home really effectively. And to be honest, it's, it's actually brought so many good results out of it, um, seeing a different dynamic from people working from home. So I hugely advocate home working if it suits the individuals. I think we have to think about that going forward. Um, but I do think there's been a revelation as to what's the art of possible, uh, which has been nice to see as a, as a positive out of this. Uh, in terms of timelines, I think that the, the repair aspect of it, but for any insurers, kind of still going to be our biggest spend. Um, it's the biggest area of spend for us, and it's the one that um, we would all like to make some differences with. But each part of claims, because I see, as Mark says, kind of end-to-end -end claims um, and all the different aspects of it, how one can... Um, impact upon other parts of it as well. So where within COVID we've had silo approaches from independent repairers, understandably, where they've closed uh, sometimes since the start. So some have been closed for weeks and weeks with vehicles in there. That has a knock-on effect to kind of overall claims and a holistic view on them. Um, and I think as a claims organisation, we will continue to see uh, impacts of this last 12-week period um, of repairs and repair management for quite a long time, I think, going forward. I'm not quite sure where it will all pop out. Um, and I'd really hope as well that the, from July the 1st, the um, opportunity on furlough the government's given where you can bring people back part-time, will support networks and allow them to flex those staff where possible. Um, I know it's certainly something we would look at uh, as the claims um, start to increase. But I think there's an opportunity to, to try and make the most of that going forward up until October. And then, like you say, Wayne, who knows after that? Yeah. yeah. And in terms of, um, you know, management of, of work volumes, now there is no right or wrong. People have made their own choices in terms of closing their businesses or remaining open. Um, but managing that from your perspective, as businesses start to, to crank back up, you know, start to process claims again, you know, that, that's a big task from your point of view, isn't it? In terms of you know, where, where does the work go and how do you start to sort of segment it, I suppose? Well, and this is where we have to rely on our supply chain. So um, I, I don't manage a network. I rely on others to manage a network. Um, and I think it has so many different challenges. Um, and I think that, as, as it starts to emerge, I think the, the challenges that we had was lockdown meant we had vehicles that were stripped and sat in a body shop, and then we had no way to contact for X amount of time, not just on our network, but on other networks as well. And I think that was the, the unknown part of it. Um, I think a collaboration to try and to understand what the rules were um, was really difficult because everyone had to make their own individual decisions, which I fully support. But it's been interesting to see the challenges that it's then brought from, a, from our perspective and from a customer perspective and um, to tell them that the garage is closed and can't get hold of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 tough challenges there. Now, I'll just share the, uh, the results. 74% uh, uh, are quite confident that new practices, technology, permanent component of the industry. Keith, what's your, what's your kind of take on that from, from where you sit? Um, things are going to change within, you know, a, a paint market, within the supply side of things? I think one that, um, it's really interesting listening to Sue and Wayne because I totally agree with you and I see exactly the same things. I'm talking to a lot of industry colleagues, insurers, body shops alike, um, OEMs. And the biggest thing for me it, it is everyone has historically relied on legacy data. So what did we do this time last year? What did we do last month? 
And that's given them um, an, an ability to forecast what's coming next week or next month, next year. Um, you know, everyone's going to be thinking, you know, relatively soon about 2021 budgets. You know, you know, what does that look and feel like? And for me, the outcome of a lot of what we're hearing today in the industry and, and over, you know, past events that you, you'll put on mark is that we're, we're moving away from having to deal with a different type of data. So we can no longer forecast in the way we could. So we now, are, we now have to rely on real-time data requirements. That digitization that Wayne spoke about, that's actually here and now. It was, it's real. So we can no longer rely upon the past. It, the past is, in terms, you know, there's a line that's being drawn. It's how we can actually work with an industry or how we as an industry can adapt. The whole, the whole value chain has to adapt to actually working in real time. What does today, tomorrow, day after look and feel like? And that for me is gonna be one of the key learnings. That's, that for me is, is, is gonna be where our industry is gonna, is gonna head to. Um, now there's gonna be good and bad with that because you know, it's not unusual for repairers to think about how full their car park is. Sue and you've just you know, talked about some of the, the experiences of that. But actually moving forward, it isn't going to be necessarily about how full the car park is. It's going to be about managing that flow of repairs in and out properly. And again, no longer about car park, no longer about legacy data, real time, what's happening today? How do I manage today? And as talking from a supply chain perspective, and I'm in, just as a generalization, I see the supply chain evolving and people's um, people choosing a supply chain that, that, that meets their requirements. So um, you know, those who can act in real time, those who can behave with just in time, it's no longer going to be okay to, you know, to have a stock of accident repairs, cars, parks, paint, whatever it might be, because actually tomorrow is going to be tomorrow. And, it'll be, and I do genuinely believe we will plan that way. Okay, that's great. A bigger, headache for you, a, bit, a bigger headache for you, Wayne. <laughs> if I can just come in on there, just expand on that, because exactly what you're saying, Keith, uh, it is over the last uh, uh, six months is exactly what's been going through my mind. Uh, the reality of it is, is all of the old rule sets, all of the last uh, uh, data sets that we've been running to, that you, you, you literally got to throw them all out of the window now. Um, um, and I, I was sort of like trying to come up with, with a viewpoint of how I've seen, seen it. And, and over the last 20 years, if we started off 20 years ago uh, as a, a car body repair of my business, was just a small cog in, in a larger organization or a larger market, um, uh, but very analog, you, you know, you could zoom into the inner workings and you can find my cog turning around. Well, now we're moving to that digitization. Effectively, we're nothing more than resistors and capacitors and power regulators inside a microchip from a digitalization. It's going to be very, very hard to identify my part in that supply chain, other than the fact that the whole process is very fluid, it's very digital, lots of noughts and ones crossing over, and, and we all play our part, you know, uh, and that's how I see it. So from that perspective, I now see that for a repairer moving forward, what I actually need is an, I need a very agile business process. I need a, I need a business that can flex up and flex down. I've been fortunate um, at Fence Express when I wrote my business plan years ago, I've gone through two recessions uh, in the time that I've been open. Now, those two recessions taught me lessons on, on, on some of the expectations of human behavior and this that, and the other. So I realized quite early on that I need a business model that effectively can run at 70% capacity, but can possibly flex to 120% capacity giving me a 50% leeway either way. So that's something that I built into the business uh, as the years went on and on and on, um, and, you know, to build in this unknown. Actually, now that this COVID event has happened, uh, you know, I am very confident with the business model that I've now got because it's that agility that I built into the business uh, 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 is enabling me to, to work through it with, with 
relatively not too much stress in the right scheme. Don't get me wrong, the government furloughing system um, has, has helped greatly. The, you know, the grants have helped greatly. But nevertheless, traditionally, if you are a volume repairer for an insurance company, um, it's very much you, you set out the stall of all of your systems, all of your processes, um, and providing you hit this number, you will hit this amount of money at the end of it. I'm struggling to see how you can consistently predict, predict the volumes that you're going to have coming through week on week, and especially if, if we have a second spike, if, if, if things alter in December, things alter in, in January, February, no furlough system is available then, you haven't got that available to you. How flexible is your business model going to be to be able to, to overcome that? So agree with Keith's points, you, you know, the old data set is out the window and you need to build such a level of, uh, of flexibility now within your business and almost a, a business continuity plan not for disasters anymore, but a business continuity plan to, to enable localised lockdowns, to enable uh, fluctuations in claims, uh, to enable fluctuations in human behaviour. You know, so, so business continuity now forms part of your day-to-day -day business activities on planning the business. Hi everybody, so the midway point in the podcast and I hope you're enjoying the conversation that's taken place so far. Once again, huge thank you to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, EMAX, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and SMG Response, along with our partners, the Green Parts Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. Enjoy part two of the podcast. Brilliant, Wayne. So I can see you nodding away at uh, much of what Wayne has said there. So again, from your perspective, uh, in agreement in terms of how things perhaps will evolve in terms of the supply chain? Yeah, and I think my vigorous nodding was, was almost um, in praise of the fact to say you have to go from anticipating 70 to 120% flexibility. It, it, it's huge. Um, and I don't think sometimes I empathise enough with what supply chain have to do. Um, and probably vice versa. Uh, and I think if we're saying we've drawn a line under the sand and all data's gone, then we're going to have to be a bit better about sharing what our thoughts are. Um, and we won't always get it right, but I think there should be some better collaboration between what we've learned from historic data, but actually there's an opportunity now to start again and say, what are we seeing and how can we allow you to flex business that works for you you know, there's only so much money in the pot to carve out between the different parts that we've got and how do we make that better? And I think perhaps, you know, if we're saying that old data set is gone, then it's a good opportunity to devise our new one. All right, super stuff. Um, just going to run the next poll, just having a look at disruption. Disruption might not be the right word, but um, we'll, we'll launch it. So evolution, if you like, uh, again, just having a look, where do you think the industry is most likely to experience major disruption? It won't repair a supply chain, claims outsourcing management or insurance. We'll let that one run. And Keith, I'll come across to you if I may. Um, so, you know, we, we've obviously touched upon the various points, but, you know, three very, very different businesses that we've, we've got involved in the conversation today. Um, you know, what's it taught you from, from, from the inside about the business and also probably from, from an industry perspective? You know what? Um... I love this question and, I, and I, I took the opportunity to give it some real thought. And one of the big things that I got reminded about was the value of relationships. Um, because, you know, whether you're a body shop, a part of the supply chain, you know, part supplier, paint supplier, so, you know, your role, wherever you are, the thing that has made the difference over the last two or three months is where you actually do have a valued relationship. Because when you can just pick up the phone and actually say, you know what, that repairer will get that car out for you. Or that part supplier will get you, find you that part to get that NHS worker, you know, mobile. Or that paint supplier who will, it remained open. Their, their offices, you know, their distribution centers stayed open to make sure you could get, your, you know, get that toner that you needed just in time. That for me has been the biggest learning because the amount of phone calls that I've taken over the last three months of people who are going, hey Keith, just want to run this by you or hey Keith, what do you think about this? And it's been great. My, um, the relationship building piece has 
has just reminded me of the of our future industry cannot be transactional based. Um, it cannot just be about, hey, guess what? I'm buying this, you deliver that. Um, COVID and that need for flexibility that Wayne and Sue spoke about, that need for understanding flexibility can only be driven out of good relationships. It cannot be driven out of a transactional relationship. So, you know, we've, I've many, many times and I see it on LinkedIn, I see it on very different um, social media posts, people talk about trust. And actually, you know what? Trust-based relationships is what we are going to need moving forward for the whole value chain. Um, you know, I'd love to talk about, I'd love to talk about our own business, Sherwin, because I know that's how we feel and that's how we operate. It's about not being a fair weather supplier, but I, I want to give that message to everybody. It's about making sure that we can actually have trust-based relationships that actually get us through COVID-20, 21, whatever it might be. That's going to be the difference. So that's my biggest learning. Probably a bit emotional for me. Those of you who know me, I'm never that emotional. <laughs> you've, you've been at home far too long, Keith. You've been far too long. long. <laughs> brilliant brilliant stuff and and sue um you know do, do you share that sentiment is are there, are there alternative things that, that you've learned from where you sit within the industry um things that you've seen out there yeah i mean absolutely i think collaboration whether from a personal perspective and how people have joined together to support um, and enforce lockdown and um, socially as well as in business has been hugely important and again, I think on all these things, we all think we're really going to learn from it and we're going to make sure the thing, good things we've taken will put in place. Um, and, and I just sincerely hope that, that some of them we will. Um, I agree with Keith, you know, trust. But I think for me, it's openness um, back to this. You know, this is unprecedented. We don't know what's going to happen perhaps in terms of market. Um, and that sharing does massively involve trust. And I think sometimes we have challenges in our industry about trust and about sharing. Um, for the greater good so I would like to think collaboration going forward would be uh, more open and more honest um, and I'll happily champion that um, but yeah that's that's what I would like to see happening and going forward. And do you think that is benefited by the fact that we are gradually kind of re-emerging from this and potentially you know we might never reach 100% claims volumes pre-COVID you know, is there almost a benefit in that sense that the industry kind of reshapes or has a shake up anyway? Uh, it's the unknown, you know, and I guess it's the fear of the unknown. You know, there are thousands of people involved within our industry that could be affected, severely affected, if we don't make some right decisions and decisions together to try and uh, make us all safe um, in the future going forward. If it doesn't get back to the 100% and it sits at an 80%, what does that look like? How do we make sure that we make the best of that? I don't know the answers to that. And I think we're starting to come out and see some ways forward. Um, and it'd be good to continue that. So if we do get to 100%, fantastic. But I think we'd need to make some uh, collaborations and decisions. If we get to 80%, what does that look like for us all as a model? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll share the results now from that poll because I'll, I'll come across to yourself, Wayne. Uh, you can see them in front of us. So in terms of uh, major disruption, 47%, so nearly half of the audience. Uh, I think it will come in from a, a repairer perspective. What's your kind of thoughts on that? Expected? From uh, yeah, to a point, expected. Uh, obviously, repairers see... Traditionally, repairers see disruption coming their way from markets outside of their control uh, is probably the best way to say. Um, you know, back in back in the days, we'd say we'd be waiting for the fax machine to ring, and uh, and so long as they kept churning them out, we were happy with with little thought or regard uh, as to what would ever happen if it stopped or anything like that. Um, I think, you know, the disruption now moving forward uh, is going to be because the insurers themselves, are, are, you know, are going to want to, um, other thought, re-evaluate their businesses and their processes. Um, possibly, uh, we're already, for the last three, four years, we've already been in the period and continuing through the period of what I call differentiation. 
Um, you know, I can see different models and different plus and minus points for each of the individual insurers and therefore trying to tailor a, a repair network solution unique to them and their provisions. Um, so, you know, some of that, if you're not part of that differentiation or, or that particular insurer doesn't fit with your model of running or your values or vice versa, if, if they were to stop working with you, you would just see that as disruption. You, you know, uh, uh, my market's been disrupted from outside my control. I actually believe that repairers themselves um, uh, have an opportunity now moving forward to start being the disruptor. You know what I mean? To actually start being the ones which are offering different levels of service, who are offering different methods of repair, uh, uh, you, you know, um, and potentially if that was presented to insurance companies, whether it be on a group basis, whether it be on a one-to-one -one basis or a regional basis or whatever it is, I think insurers will be more inclined to want to listen there because it's quite obvious that the volume and the one-size-all and the capture of everything, it, it, you know, that is now going to die out as the years go by, in my opinion. So... So disruption coming from above, but realistically, I think it's up to repairers to start looking at how they can be a little bit more disruptive from a service offering. And that's really interesting coming down to a kind of, you know, in individual uh, perspective, because obviously we've had disruption in terms of repair models come to market over the years, national solutions, mobile, uh, you know, pods, all these kind of things. So, so we're talking now about the kind of, you know, real finite detail that actually it may be a, an independent body shop that comes to market with something unique, something different that could change the game or the opinion of, of, of how they work with others. Is that fair to say, Wayne? No, definitely. No, definitely. I think, um, uh, I think as, as we are on this digital journey and more and more of this data is coming through the ability to analyze that data. Uh, and even as far as, you know, we start touching on the realms of, uh, of uh, AI um, and assessing vehicles, AI in underwriting of a vehicle in the first place, uh, you know, doing that underwriting. Um, we're going to have very, very good local regional knowledge. And, when uh, a work provider insurer or someone is working in a particular area, well, actually, it may well be that that particular area needs this type of repairer to service their client. And what fits in one area of the country may not necessarily fit in another area of the country. So when you talk about uh, so like expanding the car body repair business, it starts to get a little bit more difficult to a sense because... Uh, you know, what works in South Devon may not work in North Manchester, but you're a repair group trying to have the same systems and processes across your entire organisation. Um, uh, I think we're going to start getting to them levels of differentiation and them levels of disruption, uh, uh, you know, more of a regional basis. I can see that happening. Okay, really interesting stuff there. Really interesting stuff. Wayne, Keith, come back to you. 33%, uh, I think, was the number in terms of uh, anticipated disruption from a supply chain perspective. And I've just seen a comment come up there in terms of a, a note about Brexit. We've almost forgotten about Brexit. What was Brexit? Um, um, so, you know, any, any comments there in terms of how, again, aligning perhaps with what Wayne said, you know, are things to become far more bespoke, you know, is a blanket approach still the way to go or is it really going to, you know, drill down into the finite detail? Um, Mark, I'm happy to jump in. I think Marco's right. It's a good question. Have we forgotten about Brexit? No, we haven't. Um, as a supply chain, um, Brexit actually helped us prepare for COVID, but we didn't know COVID was coming. The reality was, you know, the supply chain, a lot of the well, uh, all the enlightened supply chain had to really focus on what was disruption going to look like for them and where they had plans, which were Brexit plans. A lot of it was that plan was taken back out the drawer. Brexit was cut and pasted, and, Bre and COVID was put back in there. Um, so in many respects, um, the supply chain actually benefited from Brexit. But, um, moving forward, um, the disruption element that we're dealing with today um, is, is the same disruption that is going to help us manage our way through Brexit. Because um, that hasn't changed. Um, and, and the truth of the matter is we were expecting this to come. 
So we, you know, the anticipation was there. We just didn't realize it was going to end up being called, called COVID. So now this is the way that as, you know, so the supply chain are going to have to continue to manage over the next 12 or 18 months. Um, and a lot of that is about making sure that we as, you know, we as a business, Sherwin Williams in particular, we anticipate customers' needs. We anticipate making sure that, you know, we've got the right stock in the right places at the right time. And, and, and I think it's fair to say that all of the supply chain are having to make those very same decisions. Um, COVID, as I say, you know, COVID for us is, is not, it hasn't disappeared. It just accelerated a process that we knew was coming. Yep. Yeah, and I think we talked about that whole acceleration element um, over the past few weeks, really. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that us ourselves, 12 months, 18 months down the line, would we, uh, would we be looking at entertaining broadcasting webinars? Well, what do you know, within two days, um, we were. So, uh, so absolutely. And, and Sue, I'll come back to you. Um, Wayne mentioned it earlier, but the lines, I suppose, in the supply chain are, are now a bit blurred. It's just a continuous, uh, or it's a continuum, if you like. Does that change, you know, how you think about business and your operation, et cetera? Um, I think it was really interesting, Wayne's comments about, um, you know, does it become more regionalised, localised? Um, I, I think for me, if you bear in mind that we are kind of nationwide UK claims management, that kind of fills me a little bit of horror when you're talking about it. It becomes more granular. Um, and what, what I don't know is whether... Um, out of this, we'll start to see whether it, it doesn't become regionalised and becomes more sausage factory, but I don't think that's the right thing to do. So I don't know what the answer is for that. Um, so I'm fence-sitting, I think, to be honest, Mark. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> um, right, I'm going to have a quick whiz around because we are, um, I'm very, very conscious of time. I'm just going to have a little scan of the questions. Uh, so question come in. Uh, correlation between uh, weather, weekends, claim spikes, uh, bad weather, rush hours. Is there any evidence that you've got at the moment, Sue, coming through about that? No, so historically, um, rush hour. So Monday to Friday rush hour was the biggest um, factor in terms of um, claims frequency. Um, obviously that's levelled out, so you see much more of a flatter um, across the days. Um, seasonality, well, you know, we've had some lovely weather, which means that we haven't had um, that seasonal kind of blast um, that can sometimes influence the frequency. Um, and again, to kind of driver behaviour and stuff, at, at the start we had... Um, at lockdown point, just coming out of lockdown, an awful lot of where you know there were cyclists um, that were becoming more prevalent. I think we all saw that in our own homes and towns and villages. So the mix of claims is definitely um, mixed, but the, it's a much flatter um, frequency that we're seeing at the moment on claims overall. Okay, great stuff. Wayne, just to hop across to you on that one. Is there anything, you know, particular damage, uh, types of damage that you're seeing that are coming through? We've obviously talked about, you know, the more, the more non-drivables obviously being processed during uh, the lockdown and things. Are, we, are you now starting to see, and Sue touched on it earlier, you know, drivables coming in um, into the system? Uh, definitely. Uh, uh, let's say we we stayed open throughout, so uh, I, I immediately put in a, a, a skeleton team um, uh, in order to service. I, I did an analysis of both sites. We had actually got quite a few key workers' vehicles in doctors, nurses, uh, and that sort of uh, repairs already on site when the lockdown was announced. So I knew I had to definitely service that. And then moving forward, so working all the way throughout uh, the COVID period in a skeleton form, we did see, you know, largely non-drivable vehicles. That's the whole purpose of why we was open, was to service those in greatest need. If we had drivable cars come through, then we would obviously call the customers and analyze the requirements and so on and so forth. But most customers actually just wanted to report it. They didn't, they didn't want it acting on until things had altered or things had changed. So now we are booking in and we have been working on more of those drivable vehicles, although we were probably instructed with them during more of the lockdown process. Um, I think now moving forward, a lot of the claims, they, they, while the claim volumes are low, the mix is now returning in the terms of the drivable and non-drivable in that sense. I do, I do think that we could end up with Mondays. So, this weekend is going to be the most interesting, I think, 
uh, because it, it's more conscious now that the lockdown measures have been eased um, and there is more a chance of people making a beeline for their cars on Saturday and Sunday uh, and going off more on those journeys to, uh, you know, to a, a social event or to uh, go to the seaside or, or go to a beauty spot of some description. Um, so there will be more increased traffic, I'm certain of, during the weekends, which could then mean that Monday is the new claim hotspot in terms of, of notifications coming through. Um, and same again, uh, I was talking about this last night with the, with the family. Uh, from a pub's perspective, so if the pub's open on the 4th, uh, 4th of July in some way, shape or form, does the possibility come that the weekend we will be driving out of the urban areas looking for the country pub that has the big beer garden, um, you know, so we can enjoy some of the sun, enjoy some of the space uh, and this, that and the other. Because whilst inner city pubs may open, uh, if, they've got, if they haven't got outside facilities or large enough outside facilities, uh, they're going to become pretty full up pretty quickly. So people will make more of a beeline on the weekends for those, those pubs with the, the spacious areas. So again, will we see more of those claims coming through at the beginning of the week post the, uh, the, the incidents happening over the weekends? Interesting stuff, Wayne. And we've, we've obviously got your plans for next weekend. So uh, thanks very much for that insight. Um, guys, very, very conscious of time. So just very quickly come around to each of you. Keith, uh, priority business activity over the coming week. I think it's pretty much a, a more of the same, staying in contact, staying relevant. I think the big thing for me is working with our, our, our partners to make sure that we're delivering the outcomes that they need as a business. Um, at the moment, it's a lonely place for a lot of people. You know, whether you, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in, in the supply chain, it is lonely. So to be able to provide that relationship, that mindful ear, and actually help people drive their businesses forward. Um, as I said earlier, complex decision making is, is, is a new norm. So you know, what does that look and feel like? What does the future of data feel, look and feel like? And being there as a valued supplier. That, that, that's my next week, month, year. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Keith. And Sue, same question to yourself. Next seven days? Ooh, next seven days, not including the weekend. Um, <laughs> I, I think a big focus for us is staff in terms of what we will do um, for our home working versus what is the right balance for us going forward um, and looking at some of those decisions. As I said, from July, we've got big opportunities on part-time. Um, that we can look to flex and then just to move for the claim numbers depending on what they happen and continually learn from, as I say, if we can get better at this collaboration, I think it would be one of my campaigns for the next, maybe not seven days, but certainly the next seven months. Brilliant. Thanks, Sue. And same question to yourself, Wayne, next, the coming week. Um, where's Accident yeah, Express looking? Yeah, I'll be honest, it's just more, more of the same for me. I've been, uh, you know, collaborating uh, week on week with all the furloughed staff uh, using our, our Microsoft Teams that we've rolled out. Really want to focus more on, uh, on the mental attitude uh, of everyone within the organisation because of that need and that requirement um, for, for that flexible working more than ever. Um, so a, a lot of next week is still based around that and getting people ready to, to come back where it be on a, on a part-time basis because of the furloughing system and that opportunity that that presents uh, and just getting uh, the staff mentally ready uh, uh, for that as well. Uh, and, and I say mentally ready, it, it's even mentally ready to the point that you may be forced to have people in for one day, two days part-time and then not in again for another week and then in again for two or three days, depending on, on what the roles are and what the requirements are. So getting that, uh, getting the mental attitude correct with everybody and make sure everybody's all pulling in the right direction is going to be important because we've only got until October, as far as I'm concerned, to get this nailed and stable uh, uh, and work forward from that afterwards. Okay, fantastic stuff, right? Great way to round up the conversation and a uh, little bit of a break from the norm next week in terms of uh, Wednesday. So we've got the Great British Motor Claim Survey um, next Wednesday. So join us on their polls, uh, anonymous polls, anonymous feedback. Um, lots of questions. So we've got about 25 questions being posed. We'll ask for some feedback. 
from that, whoever participates will have first sight of the results, uh, obviously completely across the industry. We'll also produce a report from it, uh, which will be sent to anyone who participates uh, by the Friday or on the Friday. So you can have a good insight in terms of what everyone's thinking. It's a bit of a sentiment survey in terms of where everyone's thoughts are at currently within the industry. Um, huge thank you. Uh, obviously uh, to our corporate partners and partners once again for everything that they do for us and for supporting us. Motor Claims Festival is next week so all the sessions are now on the ILC website so uh, please come and secure your place there. It's going to be a great week of uh, lots of interaction, lots of sessions taking place. Sue, Keith and Wayne, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Really appreciate it. Again, more fascinating insights into the industry so uh, Please keep everyone connected and uh, we hope to catch up with you again soon. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for the opportunity. And so there you have it, uh, another enthralling instalment, I hope you'll agree, of the ARC360 webinars and podcast. Uh, some great insights shared from, from Keith Wayne and Sue, and uh, you know it's great to receive those uh, insights from the different perspectives on the sector. Uh, once again, huge thank you to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SMG Response, and our partners, the Green Park Specialists in DASA and innovation group uh, look forward to catching up with you all soon we've got a week off next week if you like with our motor festival uh, motor claim survey so we'll catch up with you all again shortly take care everybody